All God's people said, amen. Grace and peace to you, beloved. My name is Amy Wilson Feltz, in case I haven't had a chance to talk with you directly yet. Welcome to Worship at Morningstar, whether you are here in the sanctuary or with us online, worshiping online today. Our scripture for this morning comes from the letter of First Peter. This will be familiar to my friends who attend the men's Bible study on Monday mornings. We are working through First Peter right now. I'll be reading verses 13 through 25 from chapter 1. Hear now the word of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed, Through the living and enduring word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in seminary many, many years ago now, I lived on the fourth floor of a beautiful historic building that was actually constructed during the Civil War. Now, an elevator, a small elevator, had been installed long before I arrived, but the wait was rarely worth it, so I spent a lot of time going up and down the stairs to and from my room, and I didn't mind that. It provided some good exercise, and it also gave me a mental break from all of the reading and the studying, so on one such day, I was walking up toward my room, and a classmate was descending to his room, which was on the first floor, and he saw a book in my hands. It was an earlier version of this book, the Book of Discipline. And he said, you know, we Presbyterians use a book of worship. 
I always thought it was cruel that you Methodists used a book of discipline. I laughed because, you know, that's not a new joke, actually. But also because we Methodists also use a book of worship. These books, they're important in our faith. They serve slightly different purposes, but they have the same goal, which is to help us in our faith, to help us grow and learn and follow Jesus in ways that we feel called to do so with the Methodist understanding. The book of worship contains beautiful prayers, one of which I will use today. It contains beautiful orders of service and liturgies for all kinds of occasions. The book of discipline contains guidelines for the governance of the church, expectations of leaders of the church of all levels. And again, both are for our edification so that we can grow and serve in the way that we are called to do so. And I guess the book of discipline can seem harsh, even just the idea of it, if it's disconnected from community and from mission, or if we misunderstand the role of discipline in our lives. The writer of 1 Peter begins the passage this morning with that word, discipline. Prepare your minds for action, the writer says. Discipline yourselves and set your hope on grace. Then he pairs this concept with another often misunderstood word, obedient. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to your former desires. Now, we often define these words as nouns. Discipline, for instance, is the practice of training people to obey rules or processes, a code of behavior, often using punishment to correct disobedience. Obedience, by contrast, is compliance with an order or a request or a law. Obedience can be viewed as submission to another's authority. So discipline is the rule, and obedience is compliance with that rule. And many of us would agree that discipline and obedience can serve as valuable practices in the process of maturity. But even those of us who highly value these two concepts often view their purposes as driving out the bad behavior, as eliminating the bad behavior. And then we tell ourselves, and only then, do we have a chance at being holy. Now remember, to be holy is to be set apart for a specific purpose, to be set apart. Somewhere along the development of the Christian faith, we've become uncomfortable with the idea of our own holiness. In fact, we've come to adopt a lie that has left us dealing with quite a bit of damage in our reputation and what's worse in our relationships. It's the biggest lie in Christianity, in fact, that we cannot be holy. We've been talking about this lie for a couple of weeks now. We tell ourselves that we cannot be holy. We reason that we are desperate sinners, totally reliant on God's grace, which is true. But we forget that God's grace is designed to work in us, to help us change and grow and live in ways that are more closely aligned with the ways of Jesus. What we're talking about here is the place where faith and action meet. We call it Holy Justice here at Morningstar. That's also the name of our current worship series. So far, we've considered the words of the Old Testament prophet Amos as he invited us to see the connection between our Sunday morning gatherings and a life lived with justice every day. 
Last week, we considered the words of the brother of Jesus, James, who told us that good works, faith works, are evidence, proof of God's work in our own lives in practical ways. And that brings us to the conclusion of this three-week series and this idea that we really can be holy. You can be holy. We can be holy together. The Bible tells us so. First Peter tells us this. The verses that we read today really push back against that lie that we can't be holy. Presenting discipline and obedience as helpful tools of holiness. For the writer of First Peter, discipline is not merely a set of rules. It's a spiritual practice. Obedience, too. And as such, they don't merely drive out the bad behavior. They allow us to cultivate loving behavior. They help us to grow in our souls. They increase our ability to do good. And this is exactly what it means to be holy, to be disciplined enough to pay attention to those places where faith and action meet, to obey that invitation of God and act in faith, to take part of the holy moment as it unfolds before us. This idea of holy moments is also found in that book that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago by Matthew Kelly. One of the reasons the lie that we cannot be holy takes root in our souls is that we often envision holiness as a complete, blameless life, one free of mistakes. A life of true holiness, beloved, is more about holy moments, a series of holy moments, one right after the other, perhaps none of them completely without blemish, but all of them transformed by the grace of God into something beautiful. These are regular moments in our lives, made holy by the grace of God and the attention that we are paying to God's work in the moment and our invitation to join in that work. This understanding of holiness relies on an alternative understanding of discipline and obedience, both of which can be found in First Peter. First, discipline is not merely a set of rules, but a branch of knowledge. Think about that school of thought, a discipline of learning or study in higher education. To discipline, then, is to develop deep knowledge. To discipline is to develop deep knowledge. Think about the way that we raise our children or the way that we were raised. Isn't one of the goals of the routine and the rules and the structure to develop deep knowledge of the helpful ways, the healthy ways of living in life? and to learn to avoid the more destructive patterns of behavior. So to discipline is to develop deep knowledge. Similarly, obedience is not simply compliance to a set of rules, but the observance of a way of life. To be obedient is to observe a way of life. It's practice, in other words. And the writer of 1 Peter tells us this is a practice not merely of a set of beliefs, but of identity. Christian identity, baptismal identity. This letter was written most likely from Rome in the last part of the first century at a time when the Christian faith was still very new. State-supported persecution would become a clear and present danger, a real danger for people who follow Jesus, but not at this point in history. 
The major threat to the formation of the church at this point was a lack of identity, a loosely defined mission, the erosion of a common purpose. That's why First Peter was circulated among a variety of Christian communities in northern Asia Minor, which is what we call modern-day Turkey. The writer's message centers not only on what Christians are not to do, but on who followers of Jesus are called to be. So often we fall into the trap of defining ourselves over and against what it is that we oppose. But First Peter focuses much more on what we pursue, what we champion, the grace of God that shapes us. And that's why we find so many references to the Old Testament in First Peter, or two in our short passage for today. We have the words of the prophet Isaiah and that lovely image of human beings decaying into the grass. But the point is, of course, that the word of God does no such thing. The eternal nature of God's word, God's love, God's very life is what we can stand on firmly. When we feel out of place like strangers in this world, we can remember who we are, the children of God. That identity is true and solid no matter where we live or when we live. So the practices of discipline and obedience, they enable us to really embrace that identity. It's knowledge through the study of God's word, through prayer and through worship that strengthens our understanding of who God created us to be. It's the practice of obedience in responding to God's love and care of us in our love and care of others with service that gives us integrity in the world. And even better than that, the letter tells us we don't have to manufacture discipline and obedience for ourselves. They are gifts. Gifts from our God who doesn't merely set expectations for us, but equips us to meet those expectations Be holy as your God is holy, the writer says, quoting the holiness codes in Leviticus. I would guess that you haven't read those recently. Leviticus is not high on people's list. Be holy as your God is holy. But don't try to do it on your own. Holiness is primarily the work of God, beloved, and our part comes in when we accept these gifts and we use them, when we read both the book of discipline and the book of worship, not literally. If you want to borrow them, you can. But what I'm really saying is that we read the word of God and we read other books that help us understand the word of God and we we study the word of God together. And I'm also talking about the books of our own lives the stories that we tell and the choices that we make in those places where faith and action meet. This is what our baptismal identity is all about. And here at Morningstar, we practice that baptismal identity as we point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus through inspirational worship, radical inclusion, and the alleviation of suffering. It's a pretty big vision, but that's good Visions are supposed to be big. They're supposed to be big enough to scare us a little bit. They're supposed to be big enough to know that we cannot do this on our own. They're supposed to be big enough to allow room for the Holy Spirit to work. 
as we work as well. And as I said last week, we have plenty of work to do. And we're going to do some right now. Don't worry, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot. What I have in my hand and what you will have in your hands very soon is a list uh, called Faith in Action. We may need some help. Laura, would you be willing to help? Stuart, she can help in the sanctuary while you are helping people online. There's a stack of papers here. Everyone's going to need one and a pen as well. And if you're online, we are making sure you have a link to this information too. This is a faith in action list. So I'm going to tell you about it as they come around the room or are placed online. It's an inventory. It's a list of the many ways that we pursue our mission and our vision here at Morningstar. And we're going to take some time right now in this moment to consider the ways that God might be calling us to participate in particular areas of our mission and vision. So before you talk yourself out of participating or tell yourself you're going to do this later, this is just a request for information on your part. You are not committing to teach Sunday school every Sunday until you die. That's not what we're doing here. You're simply telling me that you would like to be included on an interest list in a specific area of service or growth. For example, if you want to know more about outreach opportunities, such as the free Valentine's Day weddings that are coming up in a couple of weeks, you just check that box, special outreach events. You'll find it under radical inclusion. Check as many boxes as you like. Hear me say this is a low-risk activity. You're just asking for information. And if you're already serving in some of these areas, go ahead and check those boxes too, because that will help us keep our contact list current. And then also go ahead and check something new to you, because we always have the opportunity to try something new and take the next step. So don't worry, we're still going to make announcements on Sundays. We're still going to send out our Star Weekly email on Mondays. This document is merely just another way of saying, count me in. And it's part of our act of worship this morning. It's part of our response to the words of 1 Peter. So we are literally going to take some time right now. Diane's going to give us some music. And I invite you to not overthink this. Just listen to the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Take a deep breath. Ask for some guidance from God as we fill out this inventory together. You may use my book, absolutely. You can fill it out too, Angie. It's it's just because you're on staff doesn't mean you <laughs> don't feel excluded, Angie. Don't feel excluded.
hope you're participating online too. We can't wait to hear from you about this. Please include your contact information so that we can actually contact you. <laughs> and your name is not Mickey Mouse. That's right. The Holy Spirit is saying, get up, do something. you are finished keep working if you're not as you complete your form you can pass it to either edge of the aisle if you're not finished it's okay keep working you can keep working if you're not finished we will pick them up as you finish or you can also give it to me at the end of the service some liturgical dance while we're waiting that's okay good that's not on the form write that in yeah just from you Keep working. Take as long as you need. You can always turn these in to me at the end of the service as well. So as we close this portion of our service together, please know that this practice is more than simply an information gathering exercise. It is a way of positioning ourselves to seize the holy moments as they come, believing, beloved, that we can be holy. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. O God of all times and places, we pray for your church. 
which is set today amid the perplexities of a changing order and face to face with new tasks. Baptize us afresh in the life-giving spirit of Jesus. Bestow upon us a great responsiveness to responsibility, a swifter compassion with suffering, an utter loyalty to your will. Help us to proclaim boldly the coming of your kingdom. Put upon our lips the ancient gospel of our Lord. Fill us with the prophet's scorn of tyranny and with a Christ-like tenderness for the heavy-laden and the downtrodden. Bid us cease from seeking our own life, the life of the church, lest we lose it. Make us valiant to give up our life to humanity, that like our crucified Lord, we would mount by the path of the cross to a higher glory. Through that same Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.